Thanks, Brian. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys getting together and staying safe and uh, and leading us in worship. It sounds so much uh, fuller and richer. It feels like uh, like we're together as one singing, even when we can't hear each other, which may be better in my case that you can't hear me stand next to me and hear me singing. So um, great to see you all here. I, and literally to see, um, I, I just want to applaud the brave souls that week after week continue to leave their camera on. I mean, good good job. Well done. We, I, I really love coming every week and seeing um, Katie, you, your dog kissing you. Miss Jackie, your dog's going to join you before long for sure. Um, you know, love seeing uh, all of you guys out there. And for those of you who, uh, you know, you're, you, you're still in your PJs, we know you're eating your breakfast behind that black screen. We're so glad you're here too. Um, as much as the pandemic has robbed us, at least for now, the joy of all being physically together in worship, um, I've really enjoyed the experience of still being able to be together, even if it's virtually, um, and to get to share this time of worship together each week. Uh, I'm grateful for how we've preserved and, and really continued to prioritize this as a community. Uh, if we haven't met, uh, if you happen to be new uh, to New Denver, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. And I have to start uh, this morning's message before we jump into it, um, just to confess that it's it's been a it's been a pretty hard week um, for me emotionally uh, in a lot of ways um, got better towards the end uh, but um, uh, and I'll talk a little bit about that today but um, it's been really challenging and and maybe uh, I suspect that I'm not alone in that as well um, it's been a hard couple of weeks uh, for our country if we if we were to rewind the clock in fact back to the beginning of this year and someone were to to tell me that this year we were going to experience uh, a worldwide pandemic um, and that within a matter of months, hundreds of thousands of people were going to die. Um, that unemployment in America was going to go from an all-time low to an all-time high. Um, that vast segments of our economy were going to be crippled. And companies as significant as Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, AMC Theaters, Hertz, J. Crew, and others would be facing bankruptcy as we come to the middle of the year. And that all, as all of that unfolded, that the disease was actually going to cut us off from the most basic forms of comfort gathering together in groups, seeing people's faces unobscured by a mask, or simple gestures like being able to hug each other or give a handshake. It would have been hard to fathom that all of that would be possible in one year, much less just in a few months. But then, if we were to go back two weeks ago, and someone had told me, it's going to get worse, I don't think I could have conceived the events of the last two weeks, honestly. Uh, like most of you, I'm sure I watched on Memorial Day or, or shortly thereafter the horrific cell phone video coming out of Minneapolis as white police officer Derek Chauvin held a black suspect, George Floyd, in a submission hold with his knee on Mr. Floyd's throat for eight minutes and 46 seconds while Mr. Floyd gasped for air and said, I can't breathe over and over and over again. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. That is a long time. I watched the memorial service for George Floyd this week, and during that service, they did an eight minute and 46 second moment of silence. And they asked people around the country to join into that. And that, you just become aware as you're sitting there about how long that is. And during that whole time as the, the arrest was taking place, Mr. Chauvin and none of the other three 
uh, police officers. There were four officers there. Not one of them did anything to assist him for eight minutes and 46 seconds while the life was slowly pressed out of his body. It, it was difficult to watch. And it, even more difficult to fathom how this could happen. Not only that it, it happened, but that it, it's happened again, that this continues to happen in our country. This isn't the first time, even in recent months, that this has happened. But as we moved through this week, it became clear that something different was going on, that something different was happening this time. It started in Minneapolis, people took to the streets, and soon crowds of demonstrators were coming out all over the country. Today, there have been protests in over 400 cities in all 50 states, and it spread to cities in 25 different countries on every continent except Antarctica. But as we moved into last weekend, things continued to escalate. Peaceful protests during the daytime were replaced by ugly scenes of rioting and looting and destruction of property, clashes with the police and tear gas and rubber bullets across the country, including here in Denver. And last weekend, through the weekend, I watched the live footage in the evenings on local news of protesters throwing rocks and bricks and the police dressed in riot gear, using tear gas and pepper balls on the spray. And as I watched that, my heart dropped and I felt ill at, at a whole new level. Because, you see, suddenly this wasn't something that was happening far away. It was right here in our city. And more than that, it suddenly had become very personal for me. You see, for the last two years, um, I've actually served as a volunteer chaplain for the Denver Police Department. Yeah, that's me in the picture right there in the middle with some of my fellow chaplains. Um, some of you might recognize Mambo on the far right there. He's the pastor at Westside Church Internacional. He became a pastor the same year that I did two years ago. Um, and he's the pastor of this multi-ethnic uh, bilingual church in West Denver that New Denver helped to plant. Mambo was our, our first church planting resident here at New Denver back in 2016, 2017. And we helped him to get started, helped New West Side Church to get started. Um, and he and I became a chaplain together. And, and while I was watching the news last weekend in particular, while things were their most intense, I didn't see those men and women in riot gear on our streets as nameless, faceless goons there to needlessly attack peaceful protesters, as, as has often been how they've been portrayed. I, I saw my friends. I, I saw people that I've ridden, uh, around, ridden along on patrol with. I've shared meals with them. I've, I've prayed with them, talked about life and about their families. I, I saw them out there working 20-hour shifts, being shouted at, spit on, hit by rocks and bricks, and putting their lives at risk just doing their job, trying to protect our city. So as I watched that last weekend, by Monday, I, I, was, I was a bit of a mess. I mean, I didn't know what to think. On one hand, there's this senseless act of violence that took place in Minneapolis. And again, it wasn't an isolated incident. It's something that continues to happen and is, and is wrong. It's just wrong. And on the other side, there's all the deep relationships and the care that I know exists within our police department and all the pain and brokenness that, that, that I know is happening there as well. I, I didn't know what to think, how to feel, much less what to do about any of it. I felt numb, angry, mostly just really sad and overwhelmed by all the brokenness that I'd been seeing spilling out onto our streets. Now, maybe some of you felt... Uh, some level of this too. Um, 
overcome by emotions from the events of the week, wanting to engage, to do something, to do anything. Maybe you went out and joined the protests and walked and lifted your voices with those um, calling for something to change. Uh, but maybe you, you, you haven't done anything because you're just not even sure what to do or even where to start. What, what do you do in a moment like that where, you, where you're, you're not sure? You're overwhelmed by the moment. Do you, do you just pull covers over your head? Stop watching the news? Maybe Ben and Jerry's ice cream therapy just kind of eat your feelings? Well, I couldn't do that, uh, fortunately and unfortunately. Um, you know, I had work I had to do this week. I had a sermon to write. I had to stand up in front of you and say something today. Um, but I found, once again, that God is gracious. And, and as I was preparing for this week, I found exactly what I needed to hear for myself. Um, often I say that uh, before I teach anything to anyone else, God often has to teach it to me. And that really happened in a big way this week. Um, I found what I needed most this week in this week's practice that we're going to talk about today. If you're new or if you're just joining us, um, we've been in a series for the last couple of months called Common Practices. And we've been guided by the book, The Common Rule, um, which was written by Justin Whitmill early. It's, and it's all about, we've been learning about, about these practices, these habits that shape and inform us to live out the way of Jesus in our everyday lives. And, and the book lays out four daily practices and four weekly practices. And to be clear, um, both if you're new and both, and if you've been joining along with us, these practices, they're not eight, they're not like self-help. They're not eight steps to a better you. It's not the eight habits of highly effective people. These practices, they're not self-help. They are the practices that prepare us to live the life that Jesus calls us to in our everyday lives, in our situations, good and bad. They prepare us to face the things, the significant moments of life and the everyday moments of life by cultivating Jesus's life in us slowly, surely, forming us day by day, week by week, more and more into his image. And it's our belief, the leadership here at New Denver, it's our perspective that, that to say that you want to follow the way of Jesus without structuring your life around consistent practices that form you into his image, it's as impossible as saying that you want to be a professional basketball player, but you never work on practicing dribbling or passing or shooting or rebounding. You, you say you want to do, to do this thing, but, but you don't ever practice doing it. You, you can be sincere about your desire to want to play professional basketball. You can even try really, really hard, go out and try to play a game. But without consistent habits that form your game, you'll never be able to play competitively anywhere, much less at a professional level. And the same is somewhat true following Jesus and growing in our maturity in our faith. You can listen to Norton and I talk about the gospel, about the good news of Jesus, you can go to your D group every week and you can talk about it. You can even try to go out and uh, apply some of these things that you learn. But until we all begin to order our life around consistent habits and practices that, that form us and shape us by God's power, more and more into the image of Jesus, we'll never be able to fully live out the life that Jesus calls us to with any kind of consistency. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that God won't love you or won't accept you or anything like that. But without consistent practices that grow our life of faith, we'll never be able to experience the fullness of how God's love can change our life for the better. 
Justin says this in the book. He says, our habits can't change God's love for us. Nothing can change God's love for us. But God's love can and should change our habits. And I was personally reminded of that this week, just how important and necessary these practices are during a time of confusion and frustration and despair around our current cultural moment. I received that reminder providentially as I studied this week's practice, which is the practice of fasting. This is our third weekly practice, the practice of fasting. Now, all of us here probably know what fasting is. Even if you're new to church, you're not a church person, you probably know, you have a basic understanding of what fasting is. It's even become kind of, kind of I think, trendy now in, in dieting to, to, to do intermittent fasting. So fasting, as it's traditionally understood, is, is abstaining from some or all intake of food. And historically, it's been particularly associated with some kind of religious observance. And nearly every religious tradition on the planet incorporates fasting as a regular part of their practice, as the practice of the practice of their faith. That includes the, the Jewish religion on which Christianity is based and the Christian faith itself. From the beginning to the end of the Bible, what we see is there are examples of people who choose to practice fasting at key moments um, in their life, key moments. And, and if I were going to sum up how the Bible describes and teaches about fasting, I, I would borrow this definition from author Scott McKnight, who wrote a book called Fasting. His definition says this, that fasting is a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred moments. I'll say that again. Fasting is a person's whole body natural response to life's sacred moments. Now, if that definition sounds familiar to you, if you've been around New Denver for a little while, it's the same one that Norton used in our series on practices when he taught about fasting three years ago. That was a great message, and he, he explores some things that I'm not going to today. So if you're intrigued about the concept of fasting, you can go back into the archives uh, on our website, newdenver.org, and you can dig, it, dig that message up and listen to it. Um, but what that definition points out <clears throat> about the Bible's view on fasting is that first it's natural. It's, it's a natural thing that we as humans do to abstain from intake of food. And, and second, that it's a response. It's a response, a natural response that's connected to life's sacred moments. Now, we can all think back in our life to sacred or to significant moments, things that have happened both good and bad when our appetite just simply left us. Maybe it was something tragic like the death of someone close to you, or, or maybe it was a time where you got laid off from your job, or maybe you received some bad news, a doctor called with a negative diagnosis for you or for someone that you love. These are grievous moments that elicit a kind of natural response where our body just doesn't want food. Maybe it was a more positive experience for you. Maybe it was the excitement of your wedding day or before your graduation like the birth of your children. These moments are joyous, but they are also serious. They're sacred. And these sacred moments elicit a natural response from us that's designed to focus us. And they're an opportunity to draw us to God. You see, McKnight also points out in his book that the fasting is a companion that goes along with prayer. What, what we see throughout the scriptures in, in the stories where people have chosen to fast is that it's, it's connected to these grievous and serious moments. And it's a time when God's people 
respond naturally by abstaining, by abstaining from food, but they also use that time to cry out to God for hope, for help, for relief, for justice, for forgiveness, for whatever their need or their desire is in that moment. Now, this has also created a misconception about fasting, that somehow fasting supercharges your prayer or guarantees you results, that if you just fast and pray, then God will do what you want him to do. Does fasting produce results? Yes, sometimes, but that's not actually the point of fasting. And it, it's not surprising that in our results-oriented culture that we would ask the question, what, what does fasting do? What's the point? What does it accomplish? But that turns fasting into a manipulative, a manipulative instrumental kind of process. We're, we're trying to use it to get something that we want as a kind of lever to move God and get him to do or give us what we're asking for. Instead of focusing on trying to control the outcome or the results of fasting, which none of us can control. None of us, we're, we're beginning to see, I think with greater clarity, control is a bit of an illusion. Life is out of control. So instead of fa focusing on how we can get God to do what we want him to do, perhaps we should be more focused on our part, which is recognizing the sacred and serious moments in life and responding with fasting and prayer, with an openness to what God might do in us and through us and in our world. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament um, addressed this with the Israelites. Um, they, they began to misunderstand. The prophets, you see, often they come to this idea of, of fasting and they correct Israel's understanding of what fasting was supposed to be because it was a, a normal practice within within the Jewish community, that fasting and prayer went together. But as they began to misunderstand it, as it be began to become a practice that was empty and devoid of its truest meaning, the prophets would show up and correct or challenge the people's understanding. And in the book of Joel, we see one of those instances where he comes speaking to Israel on behalf of God, and he says this, even now, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with, your, with, your, with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Now, he's saying don't focus merely on external expressions of grief, like tearing your garments. That, that was a common expression of grief for the ancient Israelites, a way to show other people how upset they were. Instead, he says, rend your heart. C come to me, God would say, with your grief and your pain and your mourning before you go make a public display. Maybe he'd say to us, before you go post your grief and anger and dissatisfaction on social media, come to me with your whole heart, fasting and mourning with me. Then look what he says next. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from, from sending calamity. Who knows? Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave a blessing. Who knows? I love that. Who knows? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, God will turn and leave a blessing. Maybe he'll answer your prayer. Maybe he'll give you what you ask for. Maybe he'll do something different. Maybe you'll receive some different kind of blessing. Maybe, maybe not. The point is that fasting is not what God's people do to get him to do what they want 
or to get from him what they want in these sacred moments of life. It's just what God's people do in these moments. That's the way that scripture portrays what fasting is. It's just what people do. It's our natural whole body response to life's sacred and serious moments. But that can be easy to forget unless we make fasting a regular habit, a regular practice. And I think that's what I personally took away from this last week. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I'm not a fan of fasting. I don't enjoy it. I don't like it. It's been, it's not, this is, this week is not the first time I've come to the practice of fasting through my 30 plus years of following the Lord. I've tried it other times and it's always been challenging for me. It's always been challenging to engage in regularly, especially fasting from food, which does bring up a question that I get asked a lot. Does the practice of fasting require us to give up food? Is, is fasting only about food? No, no, we can fast from lots of different things. If you didn't notice it, we've already talked about fasting in this series. Turning off your phone for an hour of day. It's fasting from connection to your phone and to the world that's out there to be focused on where you are, and to be present with those that you're with. Reading scripture, choosing the practice of reading scripture before your phone is a way of fasting from your phone before you've read scripture each day. And last week, we, Norton talked about curating media. That's a form of fasting, saying no, of not watching everything that you could watch, but choosing. These are all forms of fasting. But there's something uniquely connected to our bodies about fasting from food. So on Wednesday of this week, um, as I had been preparing for this message and became aware that, that there's a sacred and serious and grievous moment that was overwhelming me, I decided to fast and to bring all of my grief and my sadness and my confusion about our current cultural moment to God. I got up in the morning and uh, I, I took my time to, to read some scripture and I began praying during the time that I, I might have normally been eating breakfast or drinking coffee. I went through my day, and around noon, when I, when I started to get hungry and, and it was lunchtime, I just, I instead came and sat down and prayed and really thought through everything that was happening uh, in our city and in our world. And that day ended up bringing even more intense feelings, as I had a, a long conversation um, with my friend Mambo, um, who I mentioned earlier. We, we lamented the pain and the brokenness that we've been seeing spilling out in our streets as pastors in the city and talking about how do we engage this together. I, I thanked him for his friendship and for all that he's taught me as an immigrant and as a person of color about my own personal and cultural biases. I've learned so much in being, being his colleague and being his friend. I lamented to him that despite New Denver's diversity of age and socioeconomic status, we still reflect Martin Luther King's observation that Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours in Christian America. And that's still true more than 50 years after he said it. Mambo and I talked and dreamed about how we might foster more relationships between the diverse members of our churches to bridge the divide that separates us. And after that, I jumped right off that. This is life these days. You jump from one Zoom call to the next, right? So I jumped from that Zoom call to my weekly online group that I do for active and retired police officers and other volunteers. We've been doing this during the pandemic while we can't get together for the monthly uh, Bible study or prayer time. We call it tactical faith. The joke is that if you call something tactical, cops will just show up for it. So we've been doing this group. And you know what? I've been taking them through 
the, the common practices, this same series, the common rule book. We do a little, we do the little video series. We talk about it for about 30 or 45 minutes and that's it because I didn't want to create any new content. And I thought, Hey, you know what? These guys need this as much as anybody to bring some structure to their life. But this, this week we decided to take a break because I just wanted to hear how everyone was doing. And as people began to share, everyone were moved, especially by the officers who shared their jarring and traumatic experiences from the front lines over the past weekend. One, one young officer, um, a guy who I've gotten to know, uh, he's been one of the most, most committed attenders to our tactical faith gathering. He's a committed Catholic believer. Um, he, 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 his normal job is he works as a detective in the domestic violence unit. This is someone who spends his days seeking justice for abused women, children, and elderly every single day. He sees the worst that human beings have to dish out towards one another. He talked about being called out to work on the front line over the lines over the weekend and being hit by bricks and rocks, all the while receiving, receiving a constant stream of verbal abuse. He talked about trying to show dignity and respect and even care for people who were just exercising, as he put it, their First Amendment rights. And even in the face of overwhelming anger, he tried to show the love of Jesus to the people that he encountered. And there were tears as he told about having to park his squad car around the block from his home because he didn't want to leave it in front of his house, and how he had to sit his young kids down and tell them that they need to be careful telling people that daddy is a police officer right now because people might get mad at them because of that. It was an emotional day, and because I was fasting, I felt all of these emotions even more deeply and more powerfully and more physically. And at the end of the day, by Thursday, what was the result? My prayers for peace in our city answered? No, not completely. I mean, the week did get a little bit better, which was encouraging. I began to see signs of hope not completely. Were my prayers for clarity and direction for myself and for our community answered? A little. I mean, I got some direction and I found out about some, some gatherings that are going to start happening between faith leaders um, in, the, in the black church and in the white church in Denver, and we're going to start trying to ask how we can work together more. That's encouraging. But I, and I definitely feel like God met me in the practice even though it might not have been ways that I anticipated. I don't even know what, the, what I expected. I just chose to fast because that's what we do. In sacred and serious moments, in life's grievous moments, that's what we do. So as we close today, I want to challenge you to take some time this week to try the practice of fasting. Whether it's just for one meal or for a few hours or for an entire day, just try it. Right now in our world, there is no lack of sacred, serious, and grievous moments happening around us. So choose what moves you, whether it's the victims of the pandemic, those struck by the disease, whether it's the jobless or, or those otherwise impacted by the economic fallout of the pandemic, whether it's the, the tragic death of George Floyd and his family and the, the community of Minneapolis, or for the pain and hurt that's spilling out because of his death in, in protests, both peaceful and violent, in our country and around the world. 
or whether it's the failure of local or national leaders to really set aside personal or political motivations and lead with integrity. Whatever it moves you or grieves you, don't tune it out. Don't numb yourself to these sacred, grievous moments. Enter into them with fasting and with prayer. And who knows? Who knows what God might do in you or through you? And lastly, just for those among us, who still struggle with the point of fasting, still thinking about all that needs to be done and all that needs to be accomplished and what a waste of time it is to just miss a meal or two. What, what can that possibly accomplish? I want to leave you with this question. How will we ever bear the inconveniences required of us to bring about real and lasting change in our lives or in our world if we cannot bear the inconvenience of fasting to focus us on God and on what he wants us to do in his world. Let's pray that God would help us and meet us in this practice this week. Almighty God, um, we are grieved to the core of who we are uh, by every aspect of what's happening in our world right now, by, by the, the pandemic that, that strikes the physical health and the economic health of individuals and, and of entire societies um, around the world. We're grieved by the pain of loss um, of this man, George Floyd, but not just him. We're grieved by the death of Ahmaud Arbery as well and Breonna Taylor, whose families are still grieving and, and have become swept up into this moment as well. As our country grapples with the, the unreconciled and unredeemed parts of our past for 400 years, this division between black and white has torn at us and it keeps coming up and it's gonna keep coming up, God, until we repent and until we begin to seek systematic change. And all of us have a part in that, God, but we, we confess that we don't know how to change the things that we can't see. So make us aware, God, reflect to us the ways that you want to bring redemption, the ways that you wanna bring reconciliation in our own lives, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. Help us as a church to know, God, what is the way forward? How can we engage with the things that we see? And as we fast this week, God, I just pray that for those who have the courage to do this, God, that you would meet them in a unique way. Help them to see something that you want them to see. Maybe if it's, it's not even the thing that they ask for, but God, that you would just meet them in the practice and that they would know that you are with them and you go with them into these sacred and serious moments, these sacred and serious and grievous times that we live in today. We pray all these things through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.